want to invite you to take your Bibles, if you have them with you this morning, or if you're using your phones or electronic devices, and join me in Luke chapter 2, as we're going to come back and revisit the Christmas story. Now, if you don't happen to have a copy of the scriptures with you, the verses will be up on the screen so that you can follow along. Uh, Luke chapter 2, both the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Luke give us the details of Christ coming into this world. Luke, the second chapter, follow along as I read, beginning with verse 1. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in the manger, because there was no place for them in the end. And in the same region... There were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. And on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, They made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. A story appeared in the Washington Post in 2007. It told the story and it said, He emerged from the metro station at the plaza location. 
He positioned himself against the wall beside a trash basket. By most measures, he was nondescript, a youngish white man in jeans, wearing a long-sleeved T-shirt and a baseball cap. From a small case, he removed a violin. He placed the case of the violin open, and if you've been on the subways and gone through the stations, you have seen the different musicians there, or if you've been on the streets of a major city, you have seen them as they are there playing uh, with their case open for donations. He shrewdly took a few dollars and some change from his own pockets and threw it into the case as seed money to invite others to donate to him. It was around 8 a.m. on a Friday morning. For 45 minutes, this violinist performed six great classical pieces. During that time, nearly 1,100 people passed by him. Uh, 27 people gave money. Only seven people stopped to listen for more than one minute. In the end, he received $32.17. When he finished playing, there was no applause. There was just silent indifference. This musician was totally and completely ignored. When we come to the Christmas story, we basically have God becoming flesh, and it was basically ignored. No one was really paying any attention. As I was thinking about the message uh, this week, I thought, you know, I have preached now nearly 50 different Christmas messages. And as I was looking at the passage, it dawned upon me how that what's going on in our culture, what's going on around us, can affect the way that we look at the text. And can affect the way, whatever we're going through, can affect the way that we understand and we see things in the passage that maybe we haven't seen uh, before. Now, the meaning of the text never changes. There's only one true interpretation of any text. But there are many applications of that text. And this is what is so great about the Word of God, is it's alive. And it meets us where we are. And it speaks to us. And it ministers to us. And so as I was thinking about this passage this week, there were things in the passage that I thought, I've never considered that before. I've never thought about that before. So as we look at this passage, the first thing that I want us to consider on this very first Christmas was the hardship. The hardship that occurred. 
It starts with the trip to Bethlehem, the travel to Bethlehem. You know, I've read that so many different times that they went from Nazareth and they went to Bethlehem, but I never really thought about what did that trip really look like? What was involved in that trip? I was surprised to see that the trip from Nazareth to Bethlehem was an 80 to 90 mile trip. So as we think about their journey there, I guess I always assume, well, they traveled today and arrived there in Bethlehem. In those days, I'm told it would be typical for people traveling on the roads that they might travel 20 miles in a day. But keep in mind, we're talking about a nine-month pregnant woman. Uh, Husbands, uh, when your wife was nine months pregnant, how fast did she move along? (laughs) Let's, (laughs) let's, Let's think, I'm not being critical. So they think that for Mary and and Joseph, you would cut that travel time in half, that they would travel maybe 10 miles a day on this trip. Uh, They had to go from Nazareth, which is in the northern highlands of Galilee, to Bethlehem, and they would have traveled Uh, south along the flatlands of the Jordan River, and then west over the hills surrounding Jerusalem and on into Bethlehem. Uh, One person has written, it was a fairly grueling trip. The most we find people traveling is 20 20 miles a day. This trip was very much uphill and downhill. It was not simple. The trip through the Judean desert, which would be a part of their journey, would have taken place in the winter. It's in the 30s during the day, and it rains all the time. It's nasty. It's miserable. And at night, it would be freezing. Now, remember, in those days, as you traveled, you would not find hotels along the travel road. Sometimes you would find little groups of people, little caravans that were traveling, and you would join in them. You had to carry your own food with you. There were no McDonald's or Wendy's or restaurants along the way where you could stop to get a bite to eat. So they were carrying probably a lot of bread. And their meals would consist of uh, bread in the morning with water, bread for lunchtime with water, and bread in the evening with water. That would be a typical type of meal that travelers would eat in those The hardship of the trip itself. Secondly, the hardship of, let's consider Mary. She's nine months pregnant. Uh, Ladies, how many of you, when you were nine months pregnant, pregnant, 
would want to go on an 80, 90 mile hike? Probably not. Now, some of you will say to me, well, you know what? I've seen the pictures. Mary was riding on a donkey when she made this trip. Uh, they thought, probably not. I mean, think about that for a second. Would you like to be riding a donkey at nine months pregnant? I can remember several years ago, uh, Barb and I went away for a weekend, and while we were gone, we thought we would go horseback riding. Now, we hadn't been on horses for a long, long time, and we took just a short ride on that horse. And I don't know whether things weren't set up properly or whatever. All I can tell you is the next morning, neither one of us felt like we could get out of bed. Every muscle in my body ached and hurt. And that was just from a couple-hour ride. Now, think being nine months pregnant on the back of a donkey. And actually, in the research I did, it said riding on a donkey would slow you down. Because donkeys tend to be stubborn animals. They go at their own speed. And when they get tired, they just quit. Mary and Joseph, in all likelihood, walked this 80 to 90 miles up and down hills and along forests. Now, what's interesting in the story is that according to Roman law, Mary did not have to go with Joseph to register. By law, Joseph could have gone by himself. But there we find her with him. Why? We're not told. It is conjecture that there would be several reasons. One, Mary would want her husband with her. Doesn't want him leaving town when she's nine months pregnant and leaving her all alone. Uh, secondly, I think sometimes we miss in the story that we were told they are not legally married yet. They are betrothed to one another. That is binding legally, but they are not technically husband and wife yet. And yet here we find Mary nine months pregnant. Don't you think that there were tongues wagging in Nazareth? Don't you think there were the whispers and the outright statements being made about Mary and about Joseph? And it may be that Joseph didn't want to leave her there by herself. The hardship. The hardship continues when they arrive in Bethlehem in that there is no room in the end for her. No room for them to stay in the few hotels or homes that were present in Bethlehem. Now, I have heard people try to spin this in a very positive way. Of saying, you know, what better place for the Savior to be born than out in a real clean stable? Have you ever been in a clean stable? All the clean, fresh straw that would, would 
be there. I think we're trying to purify the story and to clean it up. The king of the universe has come to earth. We would expect angels to be there, but there were only flies that were there. We would expect the heads of state to be there, but instead there were probably some cows and donkeys and maybe a few sheep. We would think of a royal location, a clean palace for the king to come. But instead, in all likelihood, you could hear the little feet of mice as they ran throughout the stable. We would think that with the king coming, there would be multitudes there to praise him and welcome him. Instead, we have only Joseph there, as far as we know. Was there a midwife involved in the birth? We don't know. If there is, the story doesn't tell us that there was. So we have Joseph there with Mary. Joseph there to share in Mary's pain. And I'm sure those of you ladies who have given birth to children say, what do you mean sharing in her pain? (laughs) She doesn't feel or he doesn't feel what she is feeling. And Joseph there with Mary to share in the joy of the Christ child as he is born. Now, we know that eventually the shepherds would show up. But they were considered some of the lowest in the class of society. Shepherds were thought so ill of, they were not even allowed to give witness in court. Think of it. The hardships that were endured on this first Christmas. You know, today we find ourselves in a culture in which many are facing hardships. We have those who are, who are parts of our church that today are sick with the COVID. I saw another report this morning of one of our, our member who was taken to the hospital. And I think one of the saddest things that's occurring for those who are in the hospital and for those who have to be in homes is the loneliness that is coming and that they are experiencing. They're all alone. No one can visit. Family cannot be with them. For those who are not sick, we find that this virus is causing people not to get together. So people are isolated. They're depressed. They're lonely. There seems to be very little to do because very few things are open. There is very few places where we can go, and we're told not to go there, even if we feel that we can. 
the voices and the messages that we are hearing seem mixed. The arguments are many. And sometimes we just think and wonder, why did God allow all of this to happen? I do not think there's a person here this morning or anyone who's listening online this morning that your plans for this Christmas have not been changed because of what we are dealing with all around the world. And in many ways, it provides hardships upon all of us. Well, the next thing that I want us to consider in the passage is fear. The fear. Now, there was fear on the trip for Mary and Joseph. Uh, As we consider the trip that they were taking, they say that one of the most terrifying dangers would have been the heavily forest valley of the Jordan River. There were lions and bears that lived in those woods. And travelers would have to fend off, at times, wild boars. Archaeologists have unearthed documents warning travelers of the forest dangers. They warn them in addition to the animals of bandits, pirates of the desert, and robbers. And this was all So there would be fear of taking this trip. In addition to the fear of taking the trip, our passage reveals to us fear by the shepherds when the angels appear. Look at it there in verse 9. It says, an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. Fear. Now, some of you may think, well, you know, why would they be afraid of an angel? Well, you know, first of all, let me ask you a question. Have you ever been in the room working or something and someone has come into your house, your spouse, or maybe one of your children, and you're so intent working that you don't know that they're there and they reach up and touch you on the shoulder? What do you do? You jump. Maybe you scream, depending on your personality type. Just that sudden appear It shocks you. And immediately that fear reaction comes into play. And, and I also think that artists and things have given us such a misrepresentation of angels and what angels look like I mean sometimes they you know they look like women with with wings on the the back of them and don't even get me started on these baby cherubs Uh, uh, there are no baby angels you know we we need to adjust our thought about what angels look like 
Uh, in a moment, we'll talk about one of the things that's representation of the angels. But suddenly, out of nowhere, this angel, an angel of the Lord, appears before them. And it's no uh, feminine representation. It's more of a mighty warrior that appears. And what's, and what's their response? They're afraid. And also we see later on in the passage, verse 13, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host. Suddenly they appear, and there's a great host of them. And keep in mind, this host of angels is called in other places the army of the Lord. So you have a mighty warrior suddenly appearing to you. You're going to be afraid. And then you have a whole host in the sky that suddenly appear. It's going to create fear. So there was fear that we saw on the trip on the part of Mary and Joseph. And now there is fear of, by the shepherds of the angels that have appeared to them. But the next thing that I want us to see is the promise that we have. The promise. There is no need to fear. There is no need to fear. Look at it in verse 10. In verse 10 it says to us, And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. No need to fear. As a family of believers, can I speak to you just for a moment that we don't need to be afraid. Nothing that is happening today has taken God by surprise. Nothing that is happening is out of his control. I don't know his reasoning. I don't know what he is about. But this much I know. He is in control. He's not stepped down from his post as the sovereign God. He's in control. Now, are there things that we should be doing to take precautions? Absolutely. And it may not be possible for us together with family. It is not possible for us to celebrate this year, maybe in the ways that we have celebrated in the past. And maybe for us, we don't like that. Can I say, I don't like it? There is much about this that I hate and I totally dislike. But I don't need to be afraid. Fear not. Do not let your life be driven by fear. Do that which is wise. Do that which is right. But let's not give the evil one the victory by crouching in fear. 
there is still work for us to do for our God. There is great news for us to spread. And we cannot crouch in the corner in fear. Fear not, the angel says. In verse 9, when it talks about the shepherds being filled with great fear, the word is actually they were terrified. They were alarmed. They were agitated. And yet the angel says there's no need to fear because he's bringing us good news of great joy that shall be for just some of the people? No. But shall be for all the people. There is great joy for all people. Uh, The word that is used there for the good news is the word from which we get our word to evangelize. There is good news that needs to be spread. It's called great good news. And the word there is used is mega, which means exceedingly large, loud and mighty. It's the superlative of the greatest degree. It's mega news. It's bigger than the mega meal at McDonald's or whatever restaurant you go to when they say, hey, do you want to supersize this? Do you want to make it greater? And uh, if we're following doctor's orders, we say no. Uh, We'll just take the small. I hope that's what you do. I know it looks like I've mega-sized a few times too much. But this is mega news. Great joy for all people. Why is it great news? Because a Savior is coming. A Savior is coming. At this Christmas, there would be no joy if it were not for the Savior. His name is Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. We have a Savior that is born on this day. It's a Savior that we put our hope in. It's a Savior that we confess our sins to. It is a Savior who forgives us. God has come to earth as our Savior. It is the Christ, we are told, In verse 11, God has been true to his word. All throughout the Old Testament, it has talked about the Messiah, the anointed one. That's what Christ means, anointed one. This one that has come is the Christ, the one that the prophets has talked about. The one that the prophecies were told that he fulfills. There is to be great joy Because Messiah has come, a Savior has come. God is true to his word. And we also have the promise in verse 14 of peace. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. 
Another way for that to be translated, peace, goodwill among men. And remember, this is a message that is for all people, joy for all people. A way of salvation is provided for all. The Messiah has come for all. And Messiah brings about peace. At this time, when we put our faith and trust in him, he brings us personal peace. Peace that will pass all understanding. In the midst of everything going on in this world, in the midst of all the precautions that we should take, in the midst of being alone and by ourselves, we have one who offers peace to us, one who will not leave us or forsake us. When you feel alone, remember you're not really alone. Jesus is there with you. The Spirit of God, if you know Christ as your Savior, is within you. And in spite of circumstances, we can have peace. A peace that only God can give. We go back to the violin player. No one knew that this young man standing there playing the violin was none other than Joshua Bell, one of the world's leading classical musicians. Joshua Bell is one of the most celebrated violinists of this era. He has performed with virtually every major orchestra in the world. He's performed for three American presidents and for the justices of the Supreme Court. On this Friday morning that we were talking about, when Bell pulled out his violin, he pulled out a violin that was one of the most valuable violins ever made. A Stradivarius valued at $3.5 million. The train station provided good acoustics for his performance and the beautiful music that he was playing. Remember I said that over time, only seven people stopped to listen for at least one minute. Just 27 people gave money. And the total amount that he got was $32.17. His going rate for playing at that time was $1,000 a minute. And he played for 45 no applause, just total indifference. This master museum, or this master musician, was totally ignored. With the exception of two people. There was a postal worker named John, who as a child had played the violin. When he heard the music, 
He knew this was no amateur who was playing, so he stayed and he listened. And then there was a woman named Stacy. She had been to one of Bell's concerts in Washington, D.C. just three weeks earlier, and she recognized him. She said she had no idea what was going on, but whatever it was, she wasn't going to miss it. She moved until she was right in front of him, and she stayed for the entire concert with a smile on her face. Later, she told a reporter this. It was the most astonishing thing I've ever seen in Washington. Joshua Bell was standing there playing in rush hour, and people were not stopping, not even looking. And some of them were flipping quarters at him. Well, friends, I want you to know there is one greater than Joshua Bell who made an entrance into this world. And he was largely ignored. He continues to be largely ignored. He brings to us a gift better than great music. He brings to us the gift of salvation. And though the crowds may ignore him, for those who will stop, those who will listen, those who will put their faith and trust in him, he offers salvation and peace at no charge. Father, we thank you for this great truth and this great story. We continue to marvel at your plan. Help us that we might be encouraged. Help us that we might not fear. For we have such great tidings. And you provide such great joy and peace. We honor you. We love you. This we pray in our Savior's name.